are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So every three years, the lectionary lands this odd parable on our laps. And when I see it coming, I always wonder if maybe this would be a good Sunday to invite someone else to preach. <laughs> it is what Robert Capon calls the hardest parable. And as you go through any number of biblical commentaries, it is quite evident that no one is inclined to disagree. Yet these two main characters, the rich man and his manager, along with a little handful of other characters who are deeply indebted to the rich man. If you're looking for a God character in the way that the father in the parable of the prodigal son is very clearly meant to signify God, I think you'd be chasing down a blind alley with this parable. Some readers might instinctively want to cast the rich man as the God character. The rich man, after all, is the one who's in charge. However, as N.T. Wright notes, it looks as though the master in the story had himself been acting in a somewhat underhanded manner. Jews were forbidden to lend money at interest, but many people got round this by lending in kind with oil and wheat being easy commodities to use for this purpose. It is likely that what the steward deducted from the bill was the interest that the master had been charging, with a higher rate on oil than on wheat. If he reduced the bill in each case back to the principal, the simple amount that he lent, the debtors would be delighted, but the master couldn't lay a charge against the steward without owning up to his own shady business practices. So, in all likelihood, this is not a God figure. But maybe Jesus isn't trying to line up characters here so much as to say something to the disciples about the times in which they were living. Not easy times with the Roman Empire rattling its swords on the streets, the Pharisees attempting to draw the lines of holiness as tightly as they could, all the while turning a blind eye to some of the practices that had become common, things like skirting around the law when it came to the prohibition on taking interest. Again and again, Jesus had said that a crisis time was coming, that the very temple itself would not last, that persecution was imminent. We don't necessarily feel the tension in the air when we read these texts from a distance, but Jesus' own followers would likely not have missed that tension. So, is this set of teachings a, a thing as basic as some survival instructions? in these extraordinarily tense times? Listen again to the lines with which the parable concludes, this time from the translation by N.T. Wright. 
So let me tell you this. Use that dishonest stuff called money to make yourself friends. Then when that gives out, they will welcome you into homes that last. So yeah, there may well be something in that, but then the teaching continues beyond the parable and strikes at something deeper than survival tactics in a harsh age. Listen again. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. Whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. Now, that sounds almost like it could have been drawn from the book of Proverbs, describing the core difference between the faithful and the dishonest. But then he takes another odd turn, which actually puts a bit of a crick in your neck. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you've not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. From this, Kendra Mohn comments, quote, the final verse is clear, even if the intricacies of life's choices are not. That final verse again, you cannot serve God and wealth. And then she continues, devotion to God, faithfulness in stewarding God's gifts is the priority for a follower of Jesus. But it is never easy in a world full of negotiation where wealth demands our loyalty. Recognition of this challenge drives us again to our need for Christ to reconcile us to God and to one another. The response of mercy and forgiveness at the heart of the gospel. So many biblical texts, she comments, have been tamed by time and repetition. Listen to that again. So many biblical texts have been tamed by time and repetition. Perhaps this one is still an exception, to which I'd add a very hearty, yes, this one has clearly not been tamed. And then Kendra Maud continues. A sermon on this text may not have the resolution or clarity common to others. No doubt. Instead, she comments, it may capture the attention of otherwise disengaged hearers and prompt new energy of discernment. Or it may just send us all home with furrowed brows, which perhaps isn't the worst thing of all. If this teaching has called us to think again, about our relationship to money, that's a good thing. If it has stretched us to reflect more deeply on the times in which Jesus and his disciples lived, times very different from our own, that's also significant. If it has brought us to a place of confessing that we don't always understand Jesus, and that there's always more to wrestle with, that's a grand bonus. Here's something else to ponder. 
Jesus is speaking into crisis times, crisis under the Roman Empire. While in that first reading, Jeremiah was speaking into crisis times under the Babylonian Empire, hundreds of years before. If you step back and consider how much of the scriptures are actually born of crisis times, it can be a bit sobering. Oh, there was the united monarchy under David and Solomon, and it can be a little romanticized, because if you step back and look at all that is described in the books of First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, you have to admit that even the time of a prospering monarchy was marked by enormous division and conflict. If you were living right now in war-torn Ukraine, you might hear something very different in this Gospel reading tonight. If you were a Nigerian Christian who'd fled from the incursions of Boko Haram in your region of that country, you might hear these words from Jeremiah quite differently than we do. As he says, my joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick. Hark the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. And imagine reading that in a land that's been broken. Then again, you might also discover a remarkable turn in your grip on such biblical texts. Were you to live in a place like Nigeria, in the regions under persecution right now? But I think here of the enslaved African Americans living in the Deep South who cultivated an extraordinary faith that their slave-owning, slave-abusing masters could hardly begin to fathom. You heard this line from Jeremiah today, Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Well, from that question, Is there no balm in Gilead? That enslaved church generated a song that dared to answer, and to answer with striking resilience. There is a balm in Gilead. This was written probably pre-1850s, certainly during slavery time. There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. Sometimes I feel discouraged and think my works in vain. Then the Holy Spirit revives my soul again, because there is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. So, as you go here from this evening, after we have broken bread together and shared the wine, Go wrestling with what Jesus' odd parable might have to say to you about how you think about money.
and go with that deep sense of assurance that comes when even an enslaved people can dare to hear Jeremiah and then sing back to him, yes, there is a ball in Gilead. There is. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I think of no better way to respond to that sermon than in song. So we'll stand, and Gordon Adam will lead us in song. a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.